Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. We are continuing a long-standing tradition at White's Chapel. Um, those, of, uh, those of y'all who have been with us for a while, y'all know that we always take the month of September and we spend the entire month diving deep into one beloved story of the Bible. And we, we usually try to pick uh, a Bible story that we think we know. And then we try, to, we try to uncover something new, some new truth, some new application that, that, that changes not, not just the way that we read the story, but the way we live our lives. And this year, we, we chose to dive deep into one of the most powerful, maybe the most powerful story in Scripture outside the resurrection. It's the, the story of the prodigal son. And last week, whenever we, we left off, we saw the, the prodigal. We saw him take all of his inheritance. We saw him go off to a distant country, and we saw him squander it. I mean, he blew through it. He wasted everything that the father had given him. And he's not alone. I mean, the, the stories of folks who have squandered their inheritance, those stories are just legendary. We, we, we know some of them. Um, maybe you recognize the lady up there uh, at the top left. Uh, her name is uh, Clarissa Dixon. She was on that, that, that uh, British cooking show named Two Fat Ladies. Do you remember their name? Not mine, obviously. Uh, um, Clarissa Dixon blew through an inheritance of $17.7 million. Um, over here to her, her right, that is Maureen O'Connor of the Jack in the Box dynasty. Um, Jack in the Box, like the fast food joint, not like the dun 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 Not that one. The, the, the fast food woman here, uh, her, her family started the, the, the chain up. She blew an inheritance of $86.2 million. Not to be outdone over here, Barbara Hutton from the Woolsworth family. Uh, she spent, she wasted an inheritance of $983 million, but, but this one takes the cake. Over here uh, on y'all's right, that is Huntington Hartford II. That's a name. Um, Huntington Hartford II is of the A&P grocery family. Um, he, ble- I, I don't even, $1.37 billion. He squandered over $1 billion. I, I don't know how one person does that. I mean, that, that obviously takes some work. Um, and, and just like all of these folks, the prodigal, the prodigal had lost everything. Everything. He lost everything except his way home. And when he finally returned, when he, he, he finally crossed the horizon, when the prodigal finally returned, his father ran to him and he embraced him and he welcomed him and he loved him and he restored him. And he threw a party for him. And that's where we pick up our reading this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be back in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 15. Um, so open up your Bibles if you have them. Maybe you have a Bible app on a cell phone or a tablet with you this morning. Go ahead and turn it on. Uh, again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, beginning our reading this morning with verse 25. Okay? So Luke 15, verse 25. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on, and the slave replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. And then the older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. So his father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you've not, you have never given me even such a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But, but when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Then the father said, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate, we, we had to rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. He was hot and sweaty and dirty. He was tired, he'd been out in the fields all day. And so when he got near his house, when he was walking near his home, he, he heard something, he heard something that he hadn't heard in years. The sound of singing, the, the sound of dancing coming from, from the house. He heard the awesome sounds of joy and, and, and the elder brother, he's confused. He doesn't know what's going on, so he calls a slave over to him and he asks, hey, what's going on up at the house? And, and the slave, the servant replies, oh, your brother has come home and your father, your father is throwing a party. And so the elder brother decides to throw one too a pity party, out there in the fields, all by himself, he mopes and he pouts and he feeds his righteous indignation. And, and the father, his, his father comes running out to him. His father runs out to him and, and he begs him to come in, but he refuses. He says, no, not. Dad, he says, when that, when that son of yours, almost like he, he's disowning his brother, he's like, no, that boy of yours, that son of yours, he's gone out. Dad, Dad, you know what he did. He's wasted everything. He's lost everything. He squandered everything. He blew it. He blew it with parties. He blew it with prostitutes. But hold on a minute. Do you remember last week's reading? Do you remember reading about the, the story of the younger? The Bible didn't say anything about prostitutes. I just said that, that this young man's life, it, 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 was, it was dissolute, whatever that means. Said nothing about prostitutes. You see what's happening? The older brother, this elder son, he's concocted this image. He's concocted this, this fantasy in his head. He's projecting. He's projecting what he wanted to do. He, he was projecting what he would have done had he been brave enough to leave off. He's projecting onto his little brother. You see his... His true colors are beginning to show. And he says, Dad, I've, I've never left you. I've, I've always been here. Dad, I've never disobeyed you, not once. I've been here day in, day out, slaving away, working out there in those fields. And never, Dad, never, you have never given me a party. You've never given me even so much as a young goat so that I could hang out with my friends. And I love the father's response. He says, son... Son, you're right. 
You've, you've always been with me. And all that I have, all that I have, it's, it's yours. What the dad was really saying was, look, son, that, that goat that you're whining about, it's already yours. That goat, it has always been yours and you could have killed it anytime you wanted, but you didn't. You didn't because you were too busy. You were too busy out there trying to, to impress everybody else. You didn't because you were too busy with your joyless, begrudging obedience that you forgot the point of it. I said, son, you, you've missed the party and you're still missing it. We had to celebrate, we, we had to rejoice because what was lost, my son, your brother, what was lost is now found. And here's the kicker. Um, here's the thing that I had never seen before. In, in all of my years living with this scripture and studying this passage, in all my years, I had never seen it before studying it and reviewing it here for this, for this sermon series. Um, it's, like, it's like Pastor John said last week. Uh, remember he was talking about this entire chapter, Pastor John reminded us that this entire chapter of the Bible, uh, Luke chapter 15, it is all about the story of three lost things. It's the story of the lost sheep, it's the story of the lost coin, and it's the story of the lost son. And in the, the first two, in the stories of those first two lost things, the sheep and the coin, the owner of those two things goes down hunting after them. Remember, the, the, the owner goes pursuing them because neither the sheep nor the coin have the capacity. They can't choose to come back on their own, and so they have to be sought for. But with the third thing, with, with the boy, with the prodigal, the father allows room for free will. The father knows that his boy has to, to wake up. He has to come to his senses. He knows that his boy has to choose to return on his own. Okay, I, I get that. But here was the shocking thing that struck me. Did you see what the father just did? Did you see the father pursue his elder boy out into the fields? Did you see him beg him to come to the party? Did you see him pursuing? Did you see him pleading with his older boy? Now why? Why does he chase after his, his older boy, the, the, the elder son and not the younger? Why? And this last week, it, it struck me. In prayer, it, it struck me. Could it be because the father knew that, that the sins of the flesh as Wesley called him. All the stuff that we can see, all the stuff that, that the younger boy had gotten himself kind of trapped up in, all the carousing, all the roistering, all the, uh, all the what, what's the word that, that we keep using? Um, all the, the, the dissoluteness. Um, could it be that the father knew that, that the sins of the flesh, the dissoluteness, that it shows its emptiness in, in due course? Just give it time. The father knew that. By the sins, the sins of the spirit, the pride, the envy, the entitlement, the, the sanctimonious self-righteousness, all the stuff that happens up here, all the stuff that happens down here, the things that we don't want to talk about, the very nature, the very personality of the older son, the father knew that, that those are much harder to crack. Those are these insidious sort of vices that it takes outside help 
to heal. And so the father pursues him. The father chases him down because he knows that his older boy could have gone his entire lifetime deluding himself, thinking that he was right, thinking that he was better, working his fingers to the bone, making a living, and yet squandering a life. Thank you for that. My name is John, and I'm an elder brother, and I mean that literally. I am the oldest child of Benny and Diana McKellar. We actually had Olin Mills directories back in the 1960s. Um, so that are my parents, uh, Benny and Diana. There I am there in the center, and that, was my, that is my brother Bob, was my brother Bob, who died in the year 2010. I was the oldest child, and as the oldest child, I tried to do everything right. I tried to honor our family name and be a blessing and, and represent our family well. I wanted to pass on all our hopes and dreams for the future. And as the oldest child, I read this parable, parable and I read about the younger son and his exploits and I'm interested, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm really kind of enjoying the story. And then I read about the father's response to his return and I, I celebrate. My heart bubbles over with joy and then we get to the older brother and I squirm. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable. It bothers me. It disturbs me. And part of the reason I don't like it is because maybe there's a little bit of that older brother in me. And to be honest with you, I can't stand it. Not one bit. But if I'm honest, the times that I'm most unhappy, the most miserable are when those attitudes of the older brother bubble up in me and I don't deal with them. Pastor Todd is exactly right. I think of those two sons, the one most lost is this older brother because he is lost in a pig pen of, of his mind, his spirit, attitudes that will just make him miserable in life. And, and the younger son's slop and mud that he was in, much easier to get out of than the pig pen of the older brother. So I want us to think about that. How do we get in his shoes? How do we learn the lessons from him so that we don't get trapped in those same attitudes? Let's look. Two things bubble up to us from this scripture. I think he was wallowing with resentment. We see the story, been working hard all day, starts to come home, he hears this party, the servants say there's a big barbecue going on, your younger brother has come home and we are celebrating. What does he do? He blows his top. He is mad, he explodes, he goes back out in the field to, to pout, he's upset. And I read that part of the story and I thought, surely Lord, I could never respond to life like that. And yet that spirit is always kind of there lurking, if we're aware. I shared last week, and Pastor Todd in our study, I have two photographs, kind of famous photographs through the years that are right by the door when you leave that preach a sermon to me. I really like them, they make me smile, but they also give me a message I need to hear over and over again. Last week we talked about the first one 
It was called Pie in the Sky, a little boy looking up at a piece of pie on the refrigerator that he couldn't quite reach. Here's the second one that I like even better, a famous picture called El Baccio, and I want you just to look at this because I love it. <clears throat> That's just a classic right there. But I hate to say I really enjoy it because the little girl on the right, I have that look. I can pout. My dad used to say, don't be sold up. That's the look of the older brother. Did everything right and he didn't get what he expected. Wasn't appreciated. People didn't notice. Didn't get the results he wanted. That's the look that says life's not fair. And the truth is that look, that feeling can just come on us when we least expect it. And I want us to know that sin of the older brother is the sin of good people trying to do good things. And I want to push it even further. I think it's the sin of good Christians trying to be faithful. We're serving, we're working hard. And then we look around at other people who aren't serving or working nearly as hard and we start to resent. That they don't make the same effort that we do. Or we are generous and we give. And we look around at other people who don't give, who don't meet the standard that we set. And we resent it. And in that resentment, we lose our blessing. And we end up like this brother out in the field, pouting, missing the father's love. I have a good preacher buddy. We've known each other for 36 years, went to seminary together. We have just shared life and ministry for 36 years. Dearest friends, we are like brothers. But in our younger years, we were kind of competitive with each other as we were kind of moving through the ranks of ministry. And to be honest with you, my, my friend, my brother started getting his doctoral work. And when he started, I thought, well, I'm not going to call him Dr. So-and-so if I'm not a doctor. So I started my doctoral work. That's the only reason I did it is because he did it. <laughs> Terrible. Isn't that awful? I'm, I shouldn't be confessing these things. Well, it's going to get worse. About 20 years ago, he moved to a new church and things were going really well. And he'd been there about two months. And on Monday, we were talking and visiting about the weekend and what was going on in our churches. He said, you're not going to believe it. Yesterday, the bishop showed up unannounced for worship at our church, and he worshiped with us and then took us to lunch after the service. And I thought, man, that's great. That's exciting. That's wonderful. I rejoiced with him. I celebrated with him, and I hung up the phone. Harvey, I hate to tell you what I said. I said, well, the bishop's never shown up to hear me preach unannounced and then taken us to lunch. That's horrible. And I thought, where did that come from? I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed to say that. But it's that, that spirit of the elder brother, that resentment that can just blow up like a West Texas thunderstorm. And it's poison to good people. Todd, you're right. I think the father ran out because it's harder for that elder brother to make it home to the father's love than it was for the younger. Because when that anger and resentment lives in us and we don't deal with it and we keep it bottled up, it is spiritual poison. We can do good on the outside, but on the inside, we're miserable. And we miss the joy of the faith. 
We need to be careful of the sins of the older brother. Let's be careful of that resentment. But here's the second lesson that we learn, and that is he was wallowing with resistance. Here his father showed him the most beautiful picture of God's love. He was welcoming his brother in a wonderful way, but the older brother resisted it. He couldn't get it. He didn't understand it. He missed what was going on right in his eyes. And I think part of the reason is he had the wrong definition of love. He thought that love was finite. It was limited. That if my father loves this rascally brother of mine who doesn't deserve it, he's going to have less love to give to me. It's not true. It's not the way it works. With God's love and God's kingdom, the more we love, the deeper our capacity to love. There's no limit on love. And we need to learn that lesson the older brother couldn't get. Pastor Todd shared last week, but around our campus, you'll see a picture, a famous painting by Rembrandt that we love called The Return of the Prodigal. Study that painting for just a bit because I think there's a powerful message there. So you see the action kind of takes place to the left. You see the dad and the the prodigal in the scraggly clothes coming home. And then you see the older brother over on the right. And there is a gulf between them. Not only a physical distance that Rembrandt shares, but there's a distance of the heart. Notice, notice that there are some similarities between the father and the older brother. Both of them have a red cape on. Both of them are elegantly, impeccably dressed. They stand out. They're distinguished looking. But notice the difference. Notice the dad stooped over, reaching out in love to his son. Notice how erect and stiff, almost judgmental the older brother is. Notice the dad's hands hugging, embracing, welcoming his son. Notice the older brother's hands clasped together. You see, that's the picture of more than resentment. That older brother is thinking, you know, my daddy hasn't loved me the way I deserve. Who he resents is really his dad. He feels like his dad has betrayed him because his understanding of love is faith is, was, of love and faith was based on works. He kept thinking, look at all the things I've done. He was rehearsing all that he had done for his dad. Look at all the things my younger brother didn't do. And he looked at that ledger sheet and there was a gap. How dare my dad love him when he owes me more? And I love what Pastor Todd said for us. The dad said, every. I have is yours always has been I love you more than you can ever know I'm more proud of you more than you can ever know but he couldn't see it he couldn't hear it his father's message fell on deaf ears I am convinced that the dividing line in Christianity today is among people who get grace and people who don't There are people who are like that older brother who just don't understand God's amazing grace that are pictured here, and they're always keeping score, and they're measuring sin and judging sin, and think, well, if I'm a sinner, at least I'm not as bad a sinner as that person over there, and we grade that, and we forget the truth of the gospel. Every one of us, we are sinners who need a Savior, and you know the biggest sinner in this room? Right here. I need a Savior more than anybody else. 
That's what grace is. Love that we don't deserve. But the older brother couldn't get it. There was a, a very famous Broadway artist that became a Christian songwriter and artist in the 1990s. And he wrote this amazing song about grace that I love. This song is a prayer. And I want us to remember his words. Jonathan Pierce, he was from Odessa. He died just a few years ago. But listen to what Jonathan Pierce wrote about grace. This was his prayer. He said, I lie awake at night and wonder, how, Lord, can you still put up with me? I know I push you to the limits, or so it seems. I start each day with good intentions, then fail you in a thousand ways. But still you keep forgiving me of the same mistakes. I know you've heard this prayer I'm praying of what I've done and where I've been. I know I don't deserve your mercy, but once again you say, and here is the chorus, no fault, no wrong, no dark of night can hide me from your eyes. I cannot fall or climb farther than your grace can reach. Do we get God's unconditional love, his grace for us? Or are we like that elder brother who just can't, can't quite get there? I want us to notice one other detail about the scripture. It shows us that Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived, and there's something fascinating about this passage, something marvelous about the way Jesus teaches. How does the story end? How does the scripture come to, to come to an end? The brother's out in the field pouting. The father pleads his case, and we wonder, well, how does this end up? What's the rest of the story? Does he go and embrace his brother? Does he go and join the party? Does the light come on and he gets it? And Jesus doesn't tell us. He just leaves us hanging. Because that's the way God's love is. God wants all of us to embrace him and run to him and love like he loves. But he doesn't force us to. He gives us a choice. Always the answer is how do we respond? to this amazing grace that fills the world. My name is John, and I'm an elder brother, but I have a feeling I'm not alone. Every one of us at one time or another have fallen short of the gospel, and we need to hear again and again God's radical love for us. We run to him with all our wounds and our scars and our fears and our failures, and he runs out to greet us. It doesn't matter if we've been the prodigal. Maybe we have failed in humiliating, embarrassing public ways, or maybe we have been the elder brother. Maybe on the outside we look really good, but in our hearts we are hardened and we are cold and we are resentful and we can't get the Father's love. Doesn't matter. Wherever we are, wherever we have been, God's desire is to run out and meet us and welcome us home. Welcome us to the celebration of the kingdom all around us. My friends, what is our choice? What will we do with this good news of the gospel? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you 
that when we read this great story, we find ourselves. We know what it's like to sin and to blow it and to be in that faraway country where we've made a mess of things and to know that you still want us to come home. You still want to receive us. Your greatest desire is to forgive us. Our hearts just overflow with that message. But sometimes we're like the elder brother. Sometimes on the outside, we look really good. We do our duty and our public face represents the the morality and the goodness we want to portray, but inside our hearts, we're resentful and we are bitter and we are cold. And we haven't understood what your grace is all about. Whatever the case, Lord, you want to reach out to us. You want to welcome us. You want us to open our hearts and live in your love. Lord, let it happen in us. Help us to open our lives and to follow you and to live like Christ and to love like Christ and to be your light in a world that needs this story. Lord, come to us and fill us with your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.